Well, welcome everyone to Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks. Every Tuesday provided this MLS back tournament continues at least somewhat on schedule. Uh, we'll be here on Zoom, on Facebook Live, as well as wakingthered.com. You can join the Zoom chat uh, to ask us questions, etc., interact with us. And, you know, we're just really looking forward to, to finally talking all things Toronto FC, MLS is back, and um, seeing Canadian soccer as large or at large as well. Um, we have a couple exciting guests coming up, but first, um, before we get to that on our MLS is back preview episode, I wanted to introduce my co-hosts for this show. Uh, let's start with Jeff Nesker. And I mean, I can't fault the kit because it's absolutely beautiful, uh, vintage Arsenal kit there, but, uh, you know, considering, uh, the, the shirt I'm wearing in the game a bit later today, you know, I'm not super excited to see him wearing that, but how are you doing, Jeff? Well, uh, I'm wearing this shirt in solidarity with friend of WTR and brother from another gunner, Frank Fiumara. Damn, I, I practiced that a bunch of times. Anyway, uh, we're going to beat you, and uh, David Luiz is going to score a brace, and it's going to be excellent. So just uh, prepare yourself. I think one of those two things is, is possible, and I think we all know uh, which one of those two. But, uh, Michael, how are you doing? I guess probably in relation to that game, uh, you, you'll be begrudgingly cheering for Arsenal considering the, the implications for your Manchester United. Hey, glory, glory. Yeah, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow up Jeff's uh, intro, but, you know, Mitch, I'm happy to be here, and I can't wait to talk some TFC, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as excited as we are to, to talk Toronto FC, um, I, I don't think we can – really do that justice without you know acknowledging that really the biggest story at this MLS is back tournament so far and that's you know the the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the issues that has created so far um, we're pretty excited with our first guest for this show which is uh, Dr. Tej Sahoda um, we'll have him on on momentarily here but um, I guess guys just your general feeling so far is you know the tournament's tomorrow and almost everything about this competition is up in the air isn't it Michael? Yeah, no, for sure. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I feel like things are changing by the minute. Um, we'll keep a tab on TFC, who's supposed to kick off on Friday against DC United. Uh, but yeah, like I said, things are changing by the minute, but we'll we'll keep you updated for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Uh, you know, the, the latest news, I mean, Carlos Vea won't be there. Uh, FC Dallas won't be there. Um, what, are, what, are, what are you thinking at, at this moment? Uh, I also read that uh, Freddie Montero pulled out as well, and he's not going to be there um, for family reasons. I think he actually left the bubble uh, to, to attend to family reasons, and it was a difficult decision. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my thumb is, uh, is red from hitting the refresh button because, like uh, Michael was saying, the news changes constantly, and, uh, you know, it's not all very good. So uh, it's, uh, it's been an interesting kind of white-knuckle ride watching this thing manifest. Well, let's, uh, let's talk to the expert here. Let's, let's bring on Dr. Tej, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Kevin. There he is. Welcome. There guys. he is. Hey, guys. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, Tej. Uh, we're, we're pretty excited to have Dr. Tej Zahoda on the show, of course, uh, Awaken the Red writer, but also uh, a doctor of podiatric medicine, master's in public health, specialization in epidemiology, uh, worked for the Brampton Beast, worked for the Pan Am Games, Cleveland Cavaliers, as well as an intern. Uh, Tej, I miss anything there? I mean, I've been practicing saying podiatric and epidemiology <laughs> all day in the mirror, so I hope I did it justice, but how you doing, Tej? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, obviously, great to have you on, and, um, you know, 
uh, obviously we would have wished we could talk more soccer with you, but uh, you know, given the circumstances, certainly uh, we thought it was important to, to have this conversation. Um, I actually wanted to start with a question kind of, it is related to COVID-19, but, but somewhat unrelated in the sense that, you know, there are some other big medical concerns of this tournament. We've talked about the heat. Um, and mm. we've also talked about kind of the inactivity of the players. Obviously they've been training and, and playing some inter-squad matches, but that doesn't necessarily make up for the usual, you know, preseason process that um, they would have gone through. What are some of the, the injury concerns maybe that, and some of the things that uh, medical staffs have to worry about uh, in that regard? Well, typically when we talk about like sports injuries, um, Mitch, we, there's the two types. There's the traumatic, the, uh, the more collision one, right? You know, two guys going after a ball and they lock knees together and someone tears their MCL or their ACL or, or just, you know, has a strain. And the other ones, we call them the more the stress fatigue injuries, the ones that are an accumulation of, you know, uh, elastic muscle kind of becoming fatigued and losing its stretch function. And that's probably the more, uh, a higher concern that you're going to see. Um, and that's just simply for a matter of, you know, we always hear players talk about you can practice until the cows come home, but game speed is a completely different thing. So, uh, well, unless you're Toronto FC, which apparently, you know, go through a gauntlet each week in practice. Um, <laughs> and, but uh, no, so that that's probably what's going to happen more is you're going to see a little bit more fatigue injuries. Um, and related to that is, is just playing in the heat, even if it's 9am, you know, I've been to Orlando and, getting first thing in the morning isn't exactly comfortable weather either. Um, so you're going to see a lot more dehydration. Dehydration meaning that the muscles are quicker to strain, quicker to go fatigue. And, you know, players pulling up lame. You're going to see that a little bit more. You know, guys running down the side and, and, and just kind of pulling up lame. And I understand that there's going to be hydration breaks. I understand that there's going to be, you know, five substitutions. But that still means that there's six guys on the pitch who are not going to get a chance to sub out for the game. Um, and the hydration breaks are... Uh, you know, the amount of water that they lose and the amount of water you can replace in those 30 seconds, is, is it's not equivalent. Um, and more importantly, it's the electrolytes that they're going to be losing, which are going to be causing that muscular contracture. So expect a lot of those stress fatigue injuries, you know, the, the lame calf pull, the hamstring pull, the quad pull, stuff like that. Um, you're you're going to expect a lot more of that during this tournament. Excellent. Excellent. Tej, I got to compliment you on your, uh, on your scrub Henley combo once again. You are you're looking pretty sharp. Uh, I got a question. Oh, no worries. I got a question for you. Um, you know, the news, the big news yesterday was uh, concerning FC Dallas pulling out of the tournament. What are your thoughts on that, generally or specifically? It's worrisome because this is a team that tested negative uh, when they left Dallas or when they left their training facility. Uh, they enter into Orlando. Um, and then the positive tests start, you know, uh, going off the radar. So you can only assume that there was an outbreak or a they've come into somebody positive inside the bubble. And so that's concerning because that's the integrity of your bubble is compromised. And, 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 and we all knew that would be all right. The minute MLS announced that they were going to not be testing um, the restaurant workers, the caterers, the cleaners, the day to day staff who's going to be coming in and out of the bubble. Um, you're compromising the integrity of your bubble with every single person that leaves. And so whoever was bringing the catering to the Dallas hotel or was cleaning the Dallas hotel somewhere along the way, they were probably infected and now that spread. So your bubble essentially becomes a community um, spread and, and that's worrisome. So um, I, I think they did the right thing. I think Dallas um, people shouldn't be looking at FC Dallas now as all oh, they've, 
uh, disrupted the integrity of the tournament by pulling out. I think they really should be lauded um, for saying, look, and we're going to do the safest thing for the other uh, X amount of teams that are here. And we are going to just pull out and try to remove ourselves from the equation. So, you know, hats off to them for taking that decision, actually, Jeff. Yeah, you make some good points there, Jeff. Um, it's just going to be worrisome, you know, with TFC going into that bubble. We don't know what's going to happen. But I actually just want to shift directions a little bit and talk a bit, a little bit about Chara. And I want to know what you made of the Achara injury. Do you think perhaps uh, the layoff played a factor in this? I'm not sure if you heard, but Omar Gonzalez and him were attacking the far post. And it seems like the two got tangled up and Gonzalez apparently landed on top of Achara. Uh, well, yeah. I wanted to gather your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I, I think we can rule that out as being kind of just a, a uh, unfortunate set of circumstances. Um, an ACL injury um, wouldn't be, it, while ligament is elastic, um, something like the ACL um, would probably, you know, just regular running, just regular treadmill, or for in Jeff's case, the air bike um, would keep <laughs> it, you know, would keep it in shape. So I don't think that uh, the layoff would have uh, necessarily um, exasperated the chances or, or made it uh, more likely to occur. That was probably just a freak, a freak circumstance occurrence. Mm -hmm. um, and just building off that a little bit, how do you see him bouncing back? I know he was kind of injury prone in, in college and university. Do you think this kind of linger with him the rest of his career? Or do you think he can fully recover from it? You know, um, for for a for a sport that's um, you can kind of be on a, like a a running pace and then kind of you know go from there breakout speed. I think he'll be fine. Uh, we worry more about ACL injuries for like kind of really explosive activities. Um, you know, hundred meter dash, a sprinter who tears his ACL, he's probably going to have trouble getting out of the gates. Um, Achara may notice a minimal style uh, in change uh, for his play. Um, but I think uh, the, with, the, with today's medicine, the way that they'll be able to reconstruct it and graft it, and he's so young, right? So, uh, and, and we can't discount how important that is. If this happens to a Josie or a Michael Bradley, we're starting to sing, you know, we're starting to talk about what's the next phase of their career. Uh, you know, should they move into coaching? But with Achara, even if he takes the 12 months, 16 months, um, this is probably somebody who can come back to, you know, very close to full strength, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, if you do have any questions for for Dr. Tej, you can put them in the chat, and we'll uh, we'll try and make time for at least a couple audience questions. But um, I wanted to ask overall, Tej, what are what are some of the lessons that other leagues can can learn from you know some of MLS's faux pas? I mean, we know the NBA is going to be in the same spot um, later this month. The NHL is trying to return, and of course, even MLS they're trying to play out uh, at least part of the season after this, uh, not in a bubble, but. Um, you know, hopefully at home venues. So what are some of the lessons that, that can be learned from this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I never thought I would say this two months ago, um, but uh, the NHL is the one who's doing this right now. Um, <laughs> the one in Edmonton and Toronto. Test everybody in the bubble. Uh, you have to test everybody in the bubble. The, the problem with the MLS and the NBA plan right away was the fact that they were going to test players, trainers, uh, coaches, but then not test the day-to-day -day workers. And, you know, I, I can't harp on this enough. Your bubble is, is only as secure as the weakest point. And so if you have hotel workers, restaurant workers, caterers, delivery people coming in and out of the bubble each day, going back to the Orlando community, which is, you know, one of the worst hard-hit communities in, in, in the world, um, you know, Florida's topping in at 12,000 cases a day now. 
um, you have to assume that they're going into the general public. They're going to Trader Joe's. They're going to the Cheesecake Factory, and they're going to be mixing with other people that are infected. And the very next day, they're coming back to bring Michael Bradley and Josie Altador their meal or to clean the bed sheets, you know, so whatever it is. So that right there, the plan was flawed. If other leagues are going to try to take something from this, which the NHL is doing and the NBA still has a chance and, and MLS still has a chance, everybody needs to be tested. Everybody who's going to be entering in that bubble um, would have to be tested and either you sequester somebody into the bubble um, for a 48-hour period and say, you know, so when you're in, we will test you. You'll get to work on the second day after your um, test has is, is, is been negative. Uh, but they got to find a different way um, to do it. Uh, having people go in and out is not going to work for any league. We do have a, an audience question here, and this is probably a difficult one for, to answer, but uh, the question is why Orlando, which I think is on a lot of people's minds right now. I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. I, you know, um, Jeff, if you remember, I, I think I tweeted this like April, right? I said, you know, whole – uh, I, I'm still going to claim partial credit for this whole idea. You know, the, the, the World Cup tournament style in Orlando is, I think at that point, Orlando's numbers looked better. Um, you have a ready-made facility. There's a certain sexiness to Orlando, Florida, that there isn't in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and I, and I, think, I think a lot of that has to do with the idea is that you, can, you have a ready-made facility with the ESPN Sports Complex. And very important, and I think that shouldn't be um, lost, is, is a ready-made TV facility, right? So you can post-production your games you can have the idea of kind of having a virtual studio there you can bring in taylor twelman and, and the other espn guys and kind of have your roundtable studio and wrap everything nicely up uh, the tv studios probably played a huge part in that um now in retrospect in hindsight yeah orlando doesn't look good um they, they'd be much better off going to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, uh, you know, like the CPL is proposing. So yeah, I, I think it's too late, though. I think uh, they're through the looking glass on that one. But if they could do it all over again, they'd probably pick a quiet locale somewhere in, you know, Midwestern America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must, it must also be said that ESPN is one of the top purchasers of the rights to MLS games, you know, in the before times. So they obviously had a, a vested interest in, uh, in using their facilities towards uh, furthering the tournament. Uh, I got a question for you, Tej. Um, you know, the plan is, and again, these plans are, are pretty ephemeral, but the plan is that MLS is going to try and play out the rest of the season uh, after this tournament is over. Uh, what, you know, in your professional medical Tej opinion, what are the biggest challenges to that? And are there advantages of that versus a bubble to play out the season in home markets without fans as, as like the EPL does and, and Bundesliga, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. You know, the Bundesliga, um, I, I, you know, they need to be held separately because the, with the everything I've read and, and, and do it, you know, they've done it so efficiently. Their bubble is, they almost have a traveling bubble that's self-contained within their, it, it sounds almost hard to imagine, but, you know, the group travels as a whole, they travel sequestered. And the, what do I mean by the production and the league officials? Um, could you do a travel to travel? It almost it almost makes it harder um, because, you know, certain cities and certain states are going to have separate rules. So uh, can you 14 day quarantine in each city that you arrive in? No, you know, you can't play a game every three weeks. Um, that's, that's what Jeff, that's probably going to be the most difficult as far as probably from a health perspective, what you're asking. I think it almost, it almost, it depends because some cities, sure. It'd be much safer to travel to, um, you know, Chicago, as opposed to traveling to Miami, you know, the, the minute you touch down in Dade County, you're probably going to get infected now. So 
there it, it varies. You know, I, I'd much rather be Toronto FC traveling to Vancouver um, than traveling back to Miami. And so it's going to be, you're only as safe as the city's numbers that you're going to be traveling to. So yeah, so some days the risk is going to be mitigated to being very low. And some days the risk is going to be, you know, through the roof. And I think where Bundesliga differs is, is that Germany waited until they had a nationwide control and could have kind of like a national plan of attack. Um, each city bought on board. With uh, the United States, um, it's too up in the air. Some cities are doing a very good job of trying to keep a lid on this and testing, and other governors have not done so. And, um, you know, so that leads to being a problem. Yeah, and the distances are also prohibitive, too. I mean, Germany is not as big as North America, yeah. right? So. Yeah. You know, we're talking about bus trips versus uh, chartered flights sure. and, and all of the all of the stuff that goes along with that. Yeah, I agree yeah. you can you can charter a bullet train or, you know, a, a, and rent out a single individual train, I guess, um, traveling from one, you know, the furthest two towns in Germany, as opposed to a six hour flight and the layovers. And, you know, MLS can't travel chartered flights, so it's going to be commercial flights, yeah. commercial yeah. airports traveling with the other, you know, commercial passengers in there. So your risk is too high almost in North America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds dicey, that's for sure. Absolutely. I feel like they'll have a good blueprint with the uh, MLB coming back uh, if they're going to start their season. So I think they're traveling from, I guess, city to city, and even Toronto Blue Jays might even host some games at home. So uh, those games are being played outside as well. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, they- there's. Um- there's some more yeah. problems arising, though, with the Toronto Blue Jays bubble, too. So I, I'd hope that MLS doesn't look at that. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the news. Chris Bryan of the Chicago Cubs said, you know, they went. Fi- they were told they were going to be tested daily. Um, it was five days between tests at one point. Some of the players on the California Angels or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim uh, <laughs> had to administer their own tests. The, the testers never came. The kits were there, but the tests never came. So now the players are administering their own tests. And... <laughs> I, yeah, MLB is up. Uh, I, I don't know if they're going to pass their, their uh, you know, test. And I'm, I'm sure the Canadian government's going to be watching the, uh, the training camp here in Toronto very closely. If you start noticing players are testing positive, that'll probably, they'll probably quash that real quickly. Well, Dr. Tej, you uh, haven't really done us any favors in terms of our ratings in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, but otherwise I think this was a, <laughs> this was a great conversation. Um, really enjoyed it and, and learned a lot. And as we said, I think a, a pretty important uh, topic to, to talk about before we even get into anything soccer related, because, you know, this is probably the biggest, the biggest concern and the biggest story um, coming out of this tournament. So thanks again, Ted. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah, no. it. I'm, I, you know, not. To, I don't want to sound come across too pessimistic. I'm, I'm rooting for them. I hope they get this right. I need something to watch once me, Michael, and Martin can enjoy Man United making their Champions League run. Um, <laughs> but you know, we need to move on to something else. So I hope that Toronto FC and MLS can figure this out. I'm rooting for them. Uh, I would just be very, very cautious about if they can pull this off successfully, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thanks, Taj. I really appreciate. Thanks so much, Taj. Always a pleasure. Thanks, gentlemen. All the best. Thank you. See you soon. Well, we have a, a couple of minutes here where um, we can make time for some audience questions if, if anyone has further questions, Toronto FC related or otherwise. But um, I guess we'll start with you, Michael. Just some, some thoughts on what Tej had to say. And um, yeah, I guess just, you know, the, the wild times we, we live in right now in terms of um, trying to get sports up and running. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Toronto FC's tweet yesterday that you know they're departing on the plane and then you hear fc dallas is pulling out of the bubble 
Toronto FC players are traveling to that bubble. What is going through their mindset when they hear something like this? What kind of mental toll do the players kind of take on from having to, you know, go through all of this? Um, Yeah, it just, it's, it's really humbling to, you know, be, I'm thankful that I'm here, you know, covering the game away from all of this, but you know, they're doing this for us and I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point, Michael. The emotional toll must be, I mean, there's no way to insulate yourself from, from the back and forth, you know, and, and uh, they've got to be feeling uh, all of this pressure coming from all angles and all sides. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it boggles the mind, but I mean, this is the new normal. We're all, we're all putting up with things that uh, we haven't had to deal with before and, and just sort of feeling our way through in the dark. So. Mm-hmm. It is what 2020, it is. 2020, man. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> 2020, <laughs> man. Goodness. Uh, we yeah, got, uh, we got a, a Josie question. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, what is Josie's status for Friday? And uh, why did he not come up to Toronto when the rest of the team did? Um, Michael, you want to? Yeah, I, I can take that one for sure. Uh, Josie Altador will I'm actually have an article in, in moments away from publishing but Josie Altador will actually not be ready for Toronto FC's first game according to head coach Greg Vanny he says that it would actually be a lot for Josie Altador to be, to be ready because he was given promotion uh early in training uh, early in this this pandemic to you know stay in his home state of Florida ironically and you know train individually uh without the team and he actually rejoined the team on June 23rd and per you know, federal quarantine regulations, he had to isolate himself for 14 days, meaning his first, you know, actual training session with Toronto FC wasn't until July 3rd. So that gives him about a week, you know, to get ready for the tournament. And we heard before the start of the year that they were going to kind of take it cautious with Josie. You know, we heard the word load management get thrown around a bunch. So with about a week to, you know, to prepare for the first game, Greg Vanny just not going to risk it with Josie and he's going to take his time and make sure his strikers fit. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think that covers it very well. Um, Benedict has a question as well. Um, what do you guys think this means for international football um, with quarantine periods required in many countries, international games seem unlikely. I think that's a good point. I think it's, it might be a while before we see international football return to certainly what it was. Obviously they're going to have to come up with some kind of qualifying scheme at some point for, for the number of tournaments coming up and, and figure all of that out. But um, you know, there's so many factors there. You have players coming from all over the world um, to to play for any given national team. So mm-hmm. that on its own makes this incredibly complicated, doesn't it, Jeff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I looked at that question and my eyes started glazing over because the myriad uh, complexities of, of doing that in this in this uh, uh, in, in these times just just seems like a you know a failure to launch like I, I don't see it happening I mean I think the future for international competitions is very similar to what we're seeing with MLS's back where there would be a uh, a bubble for for lack of a better word and it would be uh, it would be played in a uh, in a neutral ground and everybody would travel there I just can't see it happening otherwise yeah you'd have to think uh, you'd have to think that will uh, be the way things proceed with that um the other question we got was uh keep reading that toronto fc are favorites is it anyone's tournament or do the regular stats apply um i think it's pretty wide open here i mean you know as um kind of as a result of that i didn't ask us to make any predictions for this show and 
you know, it's, uh, I think the one factor and we'll, we'll maybe talk about this a bit later as well, but the, the one factor that I think could be very important in this is managers and, and players who have tournament experience, because, um, this is a tournament that's very much like a world cup. So you look at like Bruce arena, someone like that, someone who's led a team through a tournament before. I mean, it's, it's such a unique, um, set of circumstances and, and so many different factors in terms of all being together at once that I think, any, any player and any coach who has done that before and has done that before at a high level, I think, um, I, I think we'll have some sort of advantage. So that's one factor I'd be looking at. But again, it's, it's pretty tough to, to pick uh, anything at the moment. I think, one of I think the that's it. Also, sorry. Yeah, I think one of the things you also have to remember is these are also regular season games. And overall, big picture, some of these managers might not be going for, you know, the MLS is back tournament title they're they're thinking longer picture they're thinking regular season i know greg vanny in particular he mentioned that and i think it shows in his first match with you know sitting out josie possibly uh it that they're in this for the long run and again these three the first three games count towards the regular season so a lot of this is going to be regular season action almost yeah that's another you know, pretty interesting wrinkle in this is, is, you know, the, the fact that all the group games are incredibly important as well. Um, we do have a second guest who will uh, be joining us momentarily here, uh, Oliver Platt. Um, so again, if you guys have any, any questions in, in the chat uh, for all you can um, absolutely feel free to, to put those there. Um, looks like he's just joining us momentarily joining here, but I, I, I wanted to just say that there's a lot of new coaches in MLS. Diego Alonso comes to mind who made their career as tournament managers. So this seems to be like a perfect coming out party for, for coaches of that, you know, cough, cough, yap, stand. Uh, it's like, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. We will. And we are now joined by Ollie Platt from one soccer. And of course, a former waking the red, managing editor so great to have you on ollie hey guys how's it going not too yeah, bad ollie, not too thanks bad for having us yeah yeah great to see you all thanks for having yeah me so on. we've talked with uh dr tej a bunch about you know all of the the coronavirus concerns so we'll we'll probably talk a little more actual soccer with you um at this point but um what, what i wanted to ask first off is you know for toronto fc going into this tournament um what for you is maybe the, the biggest question mark about this side going in um, I, I think it's got to be Josie, right? Like we, we saw last season that this team kind of hit upon something down the stretch, um, played really well in, in some tough places and, and then obviously made that run, albeit with a bit of fortune through the playoffs to, to the final. But what was missing throughout that was, you know, although they could control games and although the defense definitely improved on, on where it had been, um, they lacked weapons up front. So, and, and, and a big part of that was, was Josie's inconsistent availability. Um, so with him coming into this tournament, uh, having not really trained, we, we know that's not really a recipe for success with Josie, given the, the issues he's had in the past with the games coming thick and fast as well. Um, you just wonder how much of a role he's going to play. And, and I, I think probably Toronto's hopes in this tournament rest on, on how much he can play and how effectively he can play, right? Yeah, certainly. We, have, we actually have an audience question that kind of relates to that is, and that's who will play in Josie's spot on Friday. I guess there's probably probably a number of options, but who would you go with, Ollie? Um, I, I heard from one of my old colleagues on, on the TFCB that Achara was maybe an option there. And then obviously, you know, he got his injury. <laughs> so um, I, I quite like it when they play Pozuelo up there um, and, and, and a couple of wingers either side of him. 
And I think that allows you to get Delgado, Bradley, and, and Azorio in the midfield as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, Patrick Mullins, I, I think he's a decent player, but he's not really going to move the needle a ton for you. So I'd probably go Pozuelo. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, Ollie, I, I wanted to ask you, um, what or who are you look, most looking forward to You know, in, in this MLS tournament, maybe TFC, from a TFC perspective? Who should fans look out for? Um, good question. I, I'd say it's got to be Piatti, right? Um, the guy we haven't seen yet. Um, I, I think you, you can ask some questions around that signing. It, it does seem like they took a player who's maybe a little on the, on the lower end cost-wise, but I, and, and maybe won't. You know, he's, he maybe isn't going to have years at TFC or, or have any real resale value going forwards. But I, I do think he's a quality player, and he should be a big impact player in MLS. Um, and adding to to the interest is that it seems like. You know, he's usually been a left winger in his career. It seems like TFC are going to try him on the right, which which is going to be interesting as well. Um, so he's kind of the top flight winger that the Vanny's been waiting for for so long, right? And um, yeah, I'd be interested to see how he gets on and, and what kind of shape he's in. For sure. Amazing. I'm going to go macro here, Ollie, because I've wanted to ask you this question for a very long time. Uh, you know, us at, at Waking the Red, we've very much enjoyed your your meteoric rise from uh, from lowercase <laughs> Lowercase J blogger to national television <laughs> pundit. What's been the most uh, eye-opening experience? Um, I, probably, to be honest, every aspect of, of coming to One Sock has been pretty eye-opening. Um, I had no experience of even working for in, in television, um, n- not least actually being on screen. Um, so just seeing the amount of work that goes into a broadcast, you know, the costs associated, the amount of staff required just to just to broadcast a soccer game, right, on a very basic level. Um, that was really eye-opening, and, and it kind of it shows you how difficult it is to get something off the ground, right? So luckily we have, we have a, you know, amazing backing in a, in a huge company in MediaPro that's going to give us hopefully a few years to, to get going mm-hmm. and, and that kind of safety net. But, yeah, I think it's just the scale of it. Of, of, we just, you know, nope. Yeah, just the demands of, of putting a soccer game on. Yeah, certainly. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the the DFB Pokal final, which of, of course was on one soccer. Um, you know, and a little bit about Alfonso Davies. Uh, you know, another two trophies this year. Obviously, a, a massive season for him. How critical is that? You know, a player playing at that high a level, and and certainly with um, you know what he's what he's been able to accomplish. How critical is that for for the reputation of Canadians across? Uh, global soccer right now that there's a player you can point to a player that came for reasonably I mean certainly expensive for a Canadian player but reasonably cheap from from an unknown league and now you know is is playing incredibly well at at one of the best clubs in the world yeah it's it's massive and there's there's been this shift in perception of Canada I think over the past year or two and people all over the world are starting to see it as a place where you can find some some rough diamonds for not a lot of money um, and that's kind of happened. I think that's been happening in the States a bit for the past few years with guys like Tyler Adams and, and Weston McKinney. And, and I think now it's coming to Canada. Um, you know, you just see clubs, you, you look even at one that's a lot smaller than, than Davies, but the Emilio Estevez transfer, this is a kid who didn't even really play in the CPL last year. You know, he, he had quite limited minutes, but he's got, there's something there. There's, you know, quite a lot of raw potential there, very raw, but there is potential. And, and team, you know, a team in Holland takes, takes a gamble on him, right? Um, so I think you're starting to see more and more agents, clubs, uh, whatever it is over the world who are, who are looking at Canada and thinking, 
you know, no one's really looked here and, and there's some talent that, that might be up for grabs if, if we're the first to get it. Yeah, just sort of building off that, Ali. You mentioned, you know, Emilio Estevez there. Us, you know, Canadians here at home, we know Alfonso Davies, Jonathan mm-hmm. David. Who's next? Who else are we going to be talking about? Next? Um, that's a very good question. Put I, you on the spot a little bit there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I, I think there's, there's a few guys in the CPL I like. The one I really like, just because he is still pretty young um, and has already played, you know, a very important role for his team is, is Didi Nabsi at York 9. Uh, I think he could go a long way. Um, and then you look at the, the MLS academies as well. You know, TFC, I, I, you know, you kind of need to believe it to see it with TFC because we've said before that they, ha- they have a good generation of players coming through and it hasn't always panned out. But I really think, you know, Jaden Nelson, Shaquille Marshall, Rotti, Noble Akello, these kids have big talent, a, a lot of talent. And it's just a case of realizing it and, you know, putting it into practice on the field, right? Um, so I hope they get the opportunities and, and maybe even in this tournament to, to show what they can do. Another good answer. <laughs> you can still hear me, right? I, I had a, a technical difficulty, but my mic's still working. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Perfect, yeah. perfect. All right, it's my turn. Uh, Ollie, in your opinion, what is priority one for the Canadian Premier League moving forward? And then I'll have a follow-up to that. Um, hmm, good question. I would say further expansion. Um, I think we need more teams. We certainly need to be in Quebec. That's the big one, right? Uh, and, and I think there's probably a lot of untapped potential in Quebec in terms of soccer interest and, and, and passion for the game there. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see, uh, obviously, the goal is, is quite considerable expansion up until the 2026 World Cup. And the, the pandemic has thrown a bit of a wrench into that. So I, I think, you know, being able to continue to expand the league, finding interested ownership groups, that's only got more challenging because of what's happened this year. So I'd say that that has to be a big priority and, and is, is going to be even tougher than it would have been. But, um, you know, there, there seems to still be some, some good interest out there. Well, my follow-up is, uh, what do you think the league did right year one? And what do you, is, was there anything you think they did wrong? Did right, I would say the biggest success story was the players, right, and, and the teams. Um, some of the teams really impressed me with the, the way they were run. Um, the coaching level was, was really good, I think. I think, this, you know, as much as we talk about players, there's some really talented coaches in the league as well. Um, and, and, yeah, we, I think a lot of us expected that the, the league would recruit some veteran international players and they might stand out quite a bit in the, in the first season just in terms of the level of play. But it was actually the opposite. The international players were a bit of an issue and, and maybe not quite up to the level we hoped. And it was the young Canadians who really start. Um, so that was surprising and, and really pleasant, pleasantly surprising. And that, that kind of leads me into a natural, um, you know, what could be better, which is, which is the level of the international players. And we know that, you know, the league has put a lot of thought into that. They've partnered with 21st club, uh, a analytics consultancy to improve their, their scouting internationally and, and hopefully uh, those players, as, as long as they can get into the country, once the, the pandemic has kind of eased off a bit, um, hopefully those players will be at a different level to the ones we saw last year. So we have a couple of uh, audience questions here. Um, the The first one here is um, we've seen the impact that, that the five subs can make in the English Premier League to change games late. Um, do you think we'll see this in this tournament? And is this a tactic maybe that Toronto FC could use with someone like Josie? Yeah, it could be right. Um, you know, if you can get Josie out there for the first 45 or 60 and, and then rest him, you may be able to use him more in the next game. Um, 
I, I think that's going to be a big part of it is squad depth and, and that probably in some ways plays in CFC's favor because I think they do have good depth. In other ways, it maybe doesn't because they are an older team and, and maybe not quite as durable as, as other teams around the league. Um, but for sure, I, I think, yeah, that they'll make use of those subs in the way we've seen in England. And another question here, um, kind of flipping Michael's question around, uh, is there a Canadian veteran that you think might uh, might be on his way home soon? On his way home? Um, there was, well, we, we had Junior Hoyler on one of our, our shows recently, and he was uh, talking about his his hopes of coming home to Toronto one day. So that'd be a good one. Mm. Um, certainly we know they've been in the market for wingers, so he, he'd be quite a nice fit. Um, aside from him, can't think of many that are coming to mind right now. I, th- I think, you know, obviously people talk about Atiba, but he's still, he just keeps going, keeps re-signing mm-hmm. those one-year deals in Turkey and, and never seems to drop his level. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe Junior Hoyler at some point. Yeah, I think uh, I think Atiba hit his 200th game uh, with Besiktas recently, and you know, it's again, he still seems to be going strong. I, I think I read another article that said they did a like physical testing on him, and he was in his <laughs> yes. early 20s, which uh, you know, I, th- I think makes a lot of sense to anyone who's who's watched any sort of uh, Atiba Hutchinson games, but. Um, unless there's any other audience questions, which I don't think there are at the moment. Uh, uh, Ollie, thank I, you so much. I see oh, Jeff has a question. Yeah, no, there's, there's two here. Uh, okay. One on uh, Oliver. You mentioned that scoring could be an issue for TFC. Uh, are there any rumors in the, in the uh, ephemera that uh, who they may be targeting towards the next window? Uh, that's, that's one for you guys. I'm not on the TFC beat anymore. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It, it seems unlikely that teams are going to add at this point just because of all of the insecurity around. But yeah, as, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't have the information anymore and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then this one is probably just going to be as, as fun. Uh, do you think Josie's time with TFC is ending? Um, good question. Like, personally I thought that contract was was strange when they gave it to him um I I think it was it was shortly after Vasquez and Jovinko had left right and so there was a note of you know we want to get someone tied down and then we don't want to have a complete exodus of all these legendary players but you know we we knew that he wasn't getting any younger we knew that his injury problems were there and um I I thought it was an odd decision at the time to extend him and, and give him a pay rise and that contract I would imagine would make him quite difficult to move as good a player as he is um, so I, I think he'll probably see it out. I think if you're a TFC fan, you have to hope that you know he, he gets healthy and, and he can return to, to being the Josie we know that he can be. Fair point. Well, it does seem like it would be a it wouldn't be a TFC discussion without some sort of question about Josie Altador's future. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad we uh, were able to get that one in. But uh, Ollie, thank you so much for for joining us today. Anytime. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ollie. Nice to see you, man. And uh, just before we go here, guys, I had a, a couple of rapid-fire Toronto FC questions. Um, I think you're working maybe on a piece on this, Michael, so I'll ask you the first one, uh, which is which young player do you think could make the biggest impact for Toronto FC at this tournament? Whew. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. That depends what you define as young player. Yeah, the one I'm working on is kind of like an U22 piece. Um, so Liam Frazier, believe it or not, still kind of qualifies under that build. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm excited to see Jaden Nelson and Jaquiel Marshall on their team, mostly, mostly because we haven't yet, right? Um, we haven't really seen them against any sort of competition. 
that's close to like the professional level. We see them play against USL players, um, but there aren't any men really in that league. So we'll see how these guys sort of line up against men and see how they kind of find their own sort of rhythm within the game if they do kind of get their spotlight. Yeah, certainly all uh, all signs have been positive coming out of Toronto FC camp in regards to that, Vanny, saying he's been pretty happy with the way a lot of his young players have returned from this uh, quarantine period. So uh, that is a good sign in itself. Um, Jeff, for you, who's the biggest comp- com- competition for Toronto FC uh, within their group? Uh, it's got to be Montreal. It has to be the impact. You don't think so? I, I, again, I, I go back to New England. Just uh, I think they have a lot of quality players, and again, the the Bruce Arena factor. I think that that makes a big difference. True, true, true. But again, we uh, to to your point, Montreal has has probably played the most games together so far, and and the most important games. So um, from that perspective, I, I think it's going to be a difficult group. I mean, there's no really bad team in this group. Everybody's pretty decent. Uh, I would still say for me, Toronto is the favorite, but. Um, certainly, uh, it's going to be tricky. Uh, you guys Michael... are looking at this both wrong, just so you know. All right, all right, go ahead. I, I like that. I like that. Only competition for TSC really is going to be Seattle Sounders when they inevitably meet up in the finals. Come on. <laughs> of course. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Come on, yeah, it's already yeah. rated. <laughs> yeah, enough. That is a great point. Uh, Michael, which is more important, maximum points in group games or winning the tournament? Uh, wow. That's a tough one, you know. Um, if you go on and win the tournament, you automatically get that CONCACAF Champions League spot. Mm-hmm. And we know how, how much we want that spot as, you know, a TFC fan base. But at the same time, winning, winning the league has to be the priority, does it not? When we look around to any other league in the world, most of the time, like, they're, they're, they're going for that domestic title. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Champions League kind of comes second unless you're, you know, you are the Bayern Munichs or the Real Madrids who've won, you know, automatic or not Real Madrid, but Bayern Munichs who automatically win their league every year. Yeah, Juve. Um, yeah, Juve too, exactly. So I don't think TFC's at that stage quite yet. So I think their focus has to remain on the group stage. And I think, you know, getting those maximum group stage points are probably the most important right now. I don't know. I mean, I, oh, sorry, I, are we going to have a, a regular season, you know? Uh, there's so much is up in the air. I think to the bird in the hand, uh, for two in the bush, it doesn't apply. You know, it, we're playing games. Uh, I think they have to be important now because who knows what happens after this tournament goes or doesn't go. You know, we were joking less than an hour ago that it might be inter Miami versus Orlando and then done. So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I, I think, uh, I think you got to go for this one if you're there. I mean, otherwise, what's the point? And, nothing not the the future is not written in stone at all this is a moving target yeah certainly i think uh, i think so many things um related to this this mls's back tournament uh, seem to be changing every day so um hopefully not everything we've said on today's show is is ancient <laughs> history by the time uh, all of you guys uh, listen to this uh you know if you didn't watch live but um, you know, we, we really appreciate everyone who asked questions. We appreciate everyone who interacted with us. Of course, Dr. Tej for coming on, um, Oliver as well. That was some great chats. And of course, Kevin for putting all of this together. Um, we, yeah, we're, we're really excited to, to do this and, and, um, you know, continue going forward. 
Um, just before we go, um, if, if you want to keep up the soccer again, certainly, uh, certainly we'll be making a day of this in terms of soccer as at, you know, at 3.15, there's a, a certain big match that will be going on, but later on in the day, 7.30, uh, Ben Fisk of Atletico Ottawa will be joining uh, Carlos Verdi and Michael DeLuca on um, the La Liga show they have here at Footy Talk. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that an opportunity to to ask him some questions about the Canadian Premier League's newest side and obviously a, a pretty exciting side for Canadian soccer in general. And uh, our next show, again, provided everything uh, stays at least somewhat on track, will be Tuesday, July 4th. Um, until then, you know, hopefully we'll have some Toronto FC action to, to watch and, and talk about at that point but again thank you everyone for interacting and you can follow along with waking the red for uh, all of your coverage throughout this mls's back tournament and of course as i said uh, footy talks will have a bunch of shows to to keep you going as well so uh, have a great week everyone